so much that they dragged Paul away from the temple and tried to kill him. Just before they could, a group of Roman soldiers arrived and arrested Paul. On their way to the jail, Paul asked if he could say something to the crowd that had gathered. The soldiers agreed, and Paul told them about his experience on the road to Damascus. When Paul told them that God called him to share God's message with non-Jews, called Gentiles, they started screaming for him to be killed. So the soldiers took him into the barracks. When they discovered that Paul was a Roman citizen, they became fearful of doing anything to harm him. This led to a series of courtroom battles where the Jews and Romans fought to decide what to do with Paul. Finally, Paul insisted that because he was a Roman citizen, he had the right to go to Rome and appeal to Caesar. As Paul awaited his trial in Rome, he was allowed to live in his own home, under house arrest. For over two years, Paul served others by inviting them into his home and telling them about Jesus and his message. Paul was eventually let go and began to travel again, but was quickly arrested and returned to Rome. This time, he was forced to live in a cold dungeon, chained like a criminal. Eventually, he was executed by the Roman government. Unfortunately, Paul wasn't the only apostle to be executed for what he believed and for telling others about Jesus. In fact, almost every one of the original disciples of Jesus was killed. All of them, except for one. Good morning, everyone. Merry Christmas. Week number 30 of the story. We have one more week, and we have covered this year for 2014 from Genesis to Revelation. Isn't that amazing? Come on, and we set it up for next week because next week it's the grand kahuna of Christian life, heaven. We're going to talk about heaven next week. Come on, give God a hand. That all is all about spending eternity with Jesus. This morning I'm going to speak to you on the life of Paul. We're going to look at the latter half of his life. Last week, Pastor Glenn did an incredible job talking about Paul's beginning and transformation and the challenge that God lays before each one of us. But I've I've discovered in my life, in my life, there's a a tendency for me to have just kind of natural ways of doing things. I mean, just kind of their habits that have developed over a long period of time. It, It started when I was a child. There's just something that happens, you know, patterns and things that we do. And when I got to high school, uh, I've said this before, but high school was, uh, for me, just one giant experience in the parking lot. That's where I went to high school. I spent my time in the parking lot. And I got to my senior year, I was one credit short, one credit short from graduating high school. And, and so I had to go back to summer school. And summer school was just kind of another time for me to continue what I was doing in high school. And and I made it through summer school. I got the last two days of summer school, and I stopped showing up. Just kind of quit. And, uh, you know, my mom was like, you got to go back. you got to finish. And I'd already left home. My, my uh, 18th birthday high school graduation present was a large box with all my earthly belongings dumped in, in them and thrown out the door and said, hope it all works out for you. <laughs> That was my 18th birthday present, high school graduation. And so things were very bumpy in my life at that point. And, and so I found myself uh, just, you know, living for myself and 
just doing crazy things. And, and so I, I decided to go back. I, I knew I had to get my high school diploma. So I, I went back one more semester. So I'm a four-and-a-half-year high school graduate, and that was great. And, but then I went on to college. I get, saved, I get good saved. I feel God calling me to go to college. And, and in 1985, I started attending Bible college. I was 22 years of age. And I'm going to Bible college, and I, I meet this incredible woman. We get married. And in 1990, my wife and I start a church. Well, I'm in my final year of Bible college, but God's working in our life. This church is exploding in growth. And I'm like, ah, what do I need a piece of paper for? I'm like, well, I don't need a piece of paper to preach. I, well, I can preach. I'm a man of faith and power. God's working in my life. I don't need some man to tell me that I did something. And I just need Jesus. And so I, I got to uh, the end of my college career, and I was one class short of graduating. <laughs> Sound familiar? Kind of a repetitive story here, right? Eh? And the Holy Spirit, I mean, my wife spoke to me, and she said, you got to finish what you start. And I said, yes, well, I mean, yes, Lord, i got to finish what I'm going to start. So I go back, and I take this one class, and, and I did graduate. I are a graduate college graduate, and I got my bachelor's degree in 1991 from Northwest University in Seattle, Washington, and uh, it was a memorable day. I, I completed what I started. There is a human tendency in all of us. There is a human tendency not to finish what we start. Uh, in January, many of you will go to the gym. <laughs> It'll be the first time that you've gone to the gym in months and months, maybe years, but you know you should. I've been there. I've been to the gym in January. I, 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 <laughs> that's about when I show up in January. <laughs> and you show up in March, ain't nobody there. You have any machine you want. January, you can't, you can't get on a machine in March and April. By September, the whole place is yours. Now, there's a natural tendency for all of us to not finish what we start. And I want to talk to us this morning about finishing strong. Everyone say, finishing strong. You have your Bibles, we're going to look at two portions of Scripture, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. And as we do here at City Church, I want you to stand with me in the honor of reading God's Word. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning with verse number 1. And the Bible says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off, everyone say throw off. Everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Everyone say Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Everyone say finish strong. Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to read verses 7 and 8. And the Bible says, Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me, award to me on that day. Not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearance. Here's my one big idea this morning. Finish strong or finish wrong. Finish strong or finish wrong. This morning we're going to pray 
for our nation, but we're also going to pray for two of our sisters uh, that are in this room this morning uh, who have lost loved ones in this last week. And we're going to we're going to pray for Vicky Pataki, whose father passed away this last week, last Monday, I believe, past Monday. We want to pray for Vicky and her family, and also for Patty King, who's here in the third row, who lost her son last Sunday. And we're going to pray for these two families. Will you join with me as we pray for these two families today, Father? We thank you that on this morning, this this Advent morning, the second week of Advent, when we celebrate that you are coming again, the Prince of Peace. God, I pray for these two families. I pray for Vicki and her sister and her family at the loss of her father. There's a great sense, Lord, in the last several months as she's lost her father and her mother. God, the great sense of absence of their love and of their presence. But we know, God, that your grace is sufficient for her today. And God, I pray for Patricia King. I pray, Lord, that your grace would be with this mom at the at the loss of her 23-year-old baby. God, I, I pray that you will wrap her with your arms of love and kindness. And we thank you today with a great sense of anticipation. God, we look forward to that day of eternity. God, that day that we shall see them again. God, I speak blessing and peace over these homes today. And God, for our nation, we stand today. You are the Prince of Peace. In the midst of turmoil, in the midst of anger, in the midst of frustration, God, I pray that we will stand today as a body of Christ and we'll pray peace. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, come and rule in our land. We ask this in your wonderful and mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. You may be seated this morning. Paul gets saved. He was of noble birth. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. His father was a devout Jew. We, we learned about that last week. We, we saw his upbringing, his devotion to the scriptures, and his passion for Judaism. He was a passionate man. And he was radical in everything he did, like many young people. He was pursuing a goal. He was pursuing a dream to be the best that he could be. His dream was to be the best religious scholar that he could be. He was trained by one of the great theological minds of Judaism of his day, a man by the name of Galileo. And there Paul, as he heard about this sect, this Christian sect, these Jesus people, as he heard about these Jews that were now following this guy who said he was the Messiah, there he was not a happy guy. And we see the begin, the, the young 30s, the late 20s and 30s of his life, committing himself to persecuting Jesus. Persecuting Jesus. At the age of 32, Paul has a dramatic encounter with Jesus, and his life is radically changed. For the next three years of his life, the Bible says that Paul went into a desert season. And in this desert season, Paul says three times when he recounts the story, he says, the Lord Jesus himself taught me. And there he was schooled in the life of the Spirit. He was schooled in the purpose and the plan of God. But every time you see Paul in his life and at his beginning, he, he's always talking about Jesus. I mean, people can't believe it. He, they can't believe that this guy that once persecuted the faith is now a follower of Jesus. He preaches the gospel. He preaches the cross. He preaches the resurrection. And then he spends 10 years in a place called Arabia. It's in this season of Paul's life that we have no knowledge, no background, no history. We really don't know what's taking place. But all of a sudden, he explodes on the scene. And sometime in the mid-40s in his life, he's focused. He's focused on this mission of seeing the gospel expand, to see the message of Jesus go to the Gentiles. And he finds himself in a place called Antioch. 
And there in Antioch, Paul is preaching and teaching, and people are being converted, but he starts to travel. He starts to travel, and his goal is to go to the major economic, the the major power centers of his generation. And over the next 20 years of Paul's life, he would travel to the 50 largest known cities of his generation, and he would have one message. He would have one message. It was the gospel of grace through our Lord Jesus Christ. It was the gospel of, of Jesus. He would preach over and over, and churches were planted, and and scriptures were written that we have today. As a matter of fact, two-thirds of our New Testament, 13 letters are penned. I believe there are actually 14 letters that were penned by, by Paul. But, but scholars will say that there's 13 letters. And, and he's writing and he's pouring out his heart and he's pouring out his life. And he's, in, he's encountering all kinds of challenges. He's facing persecution. He's beat. He's thrown into prison. He, he's living at the same time of a man by the name of Nero. Nero was the Roman emperor, and he was just a, he was a, he's a hellion. He thought he was God, and he, you know, the old saying, it's good to be king. He took it literal. He had anything he wanted, did anything that he desired, and there was this rebel rouser that was making noise and causing problems in his kingdom, and so he started persecuting Christians. Uh, it was a very challenging time at the, in Paul's life, but, but there was something that was happening in Paul. There was something that was happening in this man's life as he had committed himself to the gospel of Jesus. The churches were exploding. The whole world at that time in Paul's generation started to hear a buzz. They once said of Paul, everywhere he went there was either a revolution or a revival. A German scholar said this, a renowned German scholar said this about Paul. There is no single person since Nero's day who has left such a permanent mark on the souls of men as Paul the new man. He noted that the grand apostle of Christ, rising from the mass of, an, of the insignificant many, is still molding the, pres, the, the world at the present moment. Still molding the world. 2,000 years later, our concept of freedom, our concept of grace, the message of hope to this generation is bigger and larger and moving faster than it ever has in human history. Because one man, one man, Ben is strong. Uh, we're going to look at some things in Paul's life this morning. We're going to look at some, some things that he said to one of his disciples, several of his disciples. But particularly, we're going to look at some things that Paul said to Timothy in his final days. But before I talk about how to finish strong, I want to talk about how not to finish strong. Uh, I, I, I want to talk about some obstacles to finishing strong in your Christian walk. Uh, the first thing that I, I, I see when I look at Paul's writing, when he talks to Timothy, I, Paul talks about listening to the wrong voices. Listening to the wrong voices. If you don't want to finish strong, just listen to the voices of the world around you. You know, there are all kinds of voices that are vying for your attention. There are all kinds of people that are clamoring to say, hey, this is the way, this is the way, buy this, do that, go to this school. There's all kinds of voices. And it's so easy to be distracted and to get our lives off focus of what God has called us to be and God has called us to do. Listening to the wrong voices. I, I, I thought of the children of Israel. They had a great destiny. They had a great purpose. God called them. He said, I brought you out of slavery. I'm going to take you into the promised land. I've got a land that's flowing to milk and honey. It's a place of abundance. It's a good life. It's a blessed life. But you've got to choose. They get right up to the promised land, and, and Moses sends 12 spies to go and check it out. 
And 12 of them come back, but 10 of them have the wrong voice. Ten of them say, oh, it's too hard. This Christian walk, it requires too much. It's too difficult. The giants are so big. I, I'm so weak. I can't do this. And they saw themselves small. The Bible says they saw themselves like grasshoppers, insignificant, too small to fulfill the purpose. Oh, I messed up. I, I can never do what God's called me to do. But two of them believed. Those ten wrong voices Caused three million people to not live and walk into their destiny. Ten voices affected over three million people in all of human history. They were listening to the wrong voice. See, there's three voices that you can basically listen to. You can listen to human voices. You can listen to the voice of the enemy. You know, the Bible says in Revelation 12 that Satan is the accuser of the brethren, and he's standing before us, and he's, he's standing before God, and he's accusing us of our sin and our failure and our lack of worthiness, and, our, and he condemns us and makes us feel like we're just wretches and we can't do it, and, and we're no good, and we're never going to make it, and the voice of the enemy lies to us. But our generation today listens to the voice of the enemy. The Bible says that in the last day, men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of evil. They will call good evil and evil good. We live in a generation that's bought into the lie of the enemy, that it's all about me. <laughs> the voice of Satan wants you to know that it's all about you. Did God really say that? The temptations of the enemy are so, they're, they're so widely. He paints it to be so beautiful. It, it's like the fisherman that goes out and, and he puts a big old glob of beautiful bait on the end of a hook. He throws it out of the lake or into the river. And that fish coming along, all he can see, if it's, a, if it's a lure, he can see the shininess of the lure. If it's a, you know, fishing for catfish, they can see the cheese or the bread or whatever a person's put on the end of that hook. That looks delightful and tasty. The Bible says that there is a way that seems right to a man. That way of satanic temptation always leads to death. We can listen to the voice of God. So, so many times, the reason we get off course is because we are listening to the wrong voice. Not only do we listen to the wrong voice, we, we also love the things of this world. Paul told Timothy, he, told, he said, listen, Demas, he has loved this world and has deserted me because he is gone to Thessalonica. He loved this world. Loving the things of this world. Loving the momentary pleasures. Loving the things that the world says is the way to live. I've thought a lot about this because in the church we used to talk about worldliness and we don't talk much about it anymore because worldliness isn't a list of do's and don'ts. What worldliness is is making a decision to do life my own way, to believe that I'm the captain of my own ship and the master of my own destiny. That's worldliness. It has all kinds of manifestations. It can look in all different kinds of ways as we live out a rebellious life before God. But many people like Demas. He didn't finish strong because he loved this world. John the Revelator said, the, the, the man that loves this world does not have the love of the Father. You can't have the love of the world and the love of God. The love of the world is living for the moment, living for the instantaneous, thinking that this is all there is in life. So I'm going to get my peace. I'm going to get my part. Loving the world. And the third thing that I see that distracts people from their destiny and gets them off course is they just lounge around with the wrong people. <laughs> Paul, to the church of Corinth, said, don't be deceived. Don't kid yourself. Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good morals. Not sometime, every time. Don't be misled. 
there's an old saying that says, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You show me the people you hang with and I'll show you the destiny that you have in your life. The fact is every person in this room, we have a choice. You know, I've had to make decisions in my life about not being with certain family members. Do I love them? I love them. But there are things and activities and the ways that they think and live that if I start to spend a lot of time with them, I start thinking wrong. I start thinking like they're broke, busted, and disgusted way of thinking. Because <laughs> the fact is the people that you hang with, they're going to have a direct impact in your life and the way you think. So you're a believer, you're a follower of Jesus, but, but, but sometimes God's saying, you know what? These people in your life right now, if you don't make a break... If you don't choose to follow me and say yes to my plan, they're going to suck you back into the world. I've been doing this a long time. I've been a follower of Jesus now for 30 years. I've been in the ministry, preaching and teaching and leading as a volunteer, and now as a full-time minister for many, many years. And I've seen so many people get pulled off course because they were hanging around the wrong people. They weren't out to reach people. They were out to just to hang and chill with people. And the next thing that they got sucked back into the wrong way of living like Demas, who loved this world. The fourth thing that I see in people's life is that we just become lazy in things that pertain to the eternal. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul says, For this reason, Timothy, I remind you to fan. Everyone say fan. Fan into flame the gift of God which was given to you through the laying on of your hands. Fan it. Stir it up. I mean, there's not a person in this room, except for Hank, the real spiritual one. There's not a person in this room that feels like getting, a, hey, I'm, I won't read my Bible and pray. No, man, wait. we got this thing called flesh. There are many times, man, when that alarm goes off, I'm like, oh, just 10 minutes more. Uh, did you go to prayer today? Wow, something come up. I said, yeah, something come up. Your, your, your blanket came right up on over your head. That's what came up. <laughs> uh, pray. You know, we pray here. Our staff prays. We have a team of people. We pray for our prayer requests. We pray for the needs of the church and pray for our community. We do it five days a week. And we're here from 830 to 9 every morning praying because we believe churches should pray. I've always said churches do everything generally but pray. But when you read the Bible, what churches were called to do is pray. This natural part of you, like, roll out of bed. And I, I've had intentionally over the years make a decision to get up very early in order for me to even spend time with the Lord before I come here. You roll out of bed and reach into work, get your cup, you're like a prime candidate for a heart attack. <laughs> That's a fact. You know, it's a decision. Paul tells Timothy, listen, Timothy, yeah, you got a gift in your life. you got a grace. you got the charisma. But you got to stir it up. That's your part. <laughs> you got to stir it up. There's some things you say no to. There's some things you turn off so that you can tune in to God, to listen to His voice, to spend time reading His Word. I mean, just it is so easy for all of us to get lazy in things that pertain to the eternal. And Paul says to me, stir it up. Fan it in flame. Fire yourself up. Do your part. So I look at Timothy. I look at Paul's writings to him, and he gives him some really clear. There were so many more that I could have pulled out this morning. These just stood out to me. These are obstacles to us finishing strong. But do you want to know how to finish strong this morning? Come on. I, I, want, to, I want to help us today. I want to give us some lessons on finishing strong. The first thing that I see this morning, Paul says this to the church at Philippi. 
It's always been about Jesus. You've got to remember this today. It's always been about Jesus. Paul is sitting in a prison. Most scholars believe that he was in Rome in a prison when he writes to the church of Philippi. And this is what he says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. You're like, come on, you've got to be kidding me, man. You're put in prison. You've been beat. You've been left for dead. You've been falsely accused. And you're telling us to rejoice? Oh, yeah. Because it's not about me. <laughs> it's not about you today. It's all about Jesus. Paul says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Jesus. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I want to know, listen to this, and participation in his sufferings. Jesus suffered in this life. You know what Jesus had to do? Jesus had to forgive. Jesus had to love. Jesus had to say, Father, when he, he was upon the cross, and the persecutors and his prosecutors and, and his antagonists and the men that nailed him to a tree, Jesus had to say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You see, Paul's desire was to become like Jesus. No matter what anyone did to him, he could never be offended. Paul could never be offended because he was a dead man. I have been crucified with Christ. It is not I that lives. Nevertheless, it is Christ that lives in me. Come on, it is Christ that lives in us. I want you to hear this today. Remember, it's all about Jesus. Say, it's all about Jesus. This whole thing, this reach campaign, this touching our city, bringing God's love, your mission, your job, your family, your work, it's all about the mission of Jesus and your generation. The second thing that I see Paul tells Timothy, he says, never forget who you are without Christ. Never forget who you are without Christ. When you read the story in the book of Acts of Paul's life, man, him consenting to the death of believers, he could never shake that off. He could never shake off that which he allowed into his life. The vileness, the anger, the, the bitterness. That allowed him to do some terrible things to other people. Even at the end of his life, he's writing to Timothy. He's probably 62 years of age. He sent Timothy, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of whom? I'm the worst. The King James says, I'm chief of sinners. He's at his life, church planning. Wrote 13 books of the Bible, went to the 50 major cities of the world, proclaiming the resurrected Jesus, causing revolution and riots and revival everywhere he goes. And he said in there, Timothy, don't forget this. Don't forget who you are without Jesus. I, I, I can preach the message. I am somebody. I'm like, you ain't nobody. I'm somebody. Come on. I'm somebody. No, you ain't somebody. You're a nobody until Jesus, who is the somebody, comes into your life. And then he makes you into one new man who now has the spirit of God in your life. <laughs> he wrote to the church of Ephesus, don't forget, guys. Don't forget who you really are. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. And you needed a savior. <laughs> you needed a savior. I need a Savior. I stand with Paul. Oh, I look back. There are things that I, I've told my kids. There's things that I've never told anybody. I can't. 
not proud of those moments when I was far from God and the rebellion and the wickedness that I got myself into. I'm not proud of those moments. I know today I'm a great sinner, but I know that I have a greater Savior. I have a greater Savior. There was a man by the name of John Newton. He wrote a song called Amazing Grace. We sung it at the homegoing service for Nicholas on Thursday. Everyone in this room knows that song. Everyone in this room knows Amazing Grace. John Newton found himself in the depth of sin. At 13 years of age, he ran away, found himself at working in the maritime and the, the shipping industry. By the age of 15, he was working on a slave boat, going from England to Africa to capture men and to take them into slavery. At the age of 20, he was a captain of a slave boat. And for the next 25 years of his life, he was involved in the slave trade industry. His greatest regret, his greatest regret after he came to faith in Jesus is that he involved himself in such a vile Wicked trade, a despicable, abominable trade as the issue of slave trading. He never could shake it off. In 1872, he was thinking about the depth of his own brokenness and the greatness of his Savior. He wrote these words, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind. But now I see. Oh, you could sing that song with me this morning. This man, John Newton, his life was shaped. He became friends with two guys by the name of John and Charles Wesley. He committed himself to ministry. He spent the last 25 years of his life fighting against slavery. He became one of the great abolitionists of England and had slavery abolished in 1805. The fact is, he got to the end of his life. And like Paul the Apostle, he identified with those words He wrote these in his final memories of life. I remember two things, that I'm a great Savior and that Christ, uh, that I'm a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. If you're a great sinner, you need a Savior. Every person in this room, never forget who you are without the grace of God. Never forget who you are without the grace of God. The third thing that Paul tells Timothy is run from evil. Run from evil. Flee evil. Two times he actually tells Timothy this. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, he says, Flee the evil desires of youth. Run from them. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord Jesus out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish, stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. Flee. Run. Follow the way of righteousness. Fight the good fight of faith. I want you to hear this today, guys. That's a choice. It's a choice. There are decisions that we each make every day, whether we're going to choose to be right or choose to be wrong. We have a dog in our home. I took this picture yesterday of this dog. Uh, uh, his name is Blessing. I'm going to put that picture up. Thank you. Uh, here's our little Maltese. We've had him for 13 years. Uh, we have got a new name for him over the last, he needs the pens now, but uh, we call him a, AKA Homewrecker because <laughs> we've had to replace almost every bit of flooring in our house. <laughs> I told my boys, I said, hey, when we get rid of this dog, we get ready to move or whatever happens in our life, just throw all the furniture out because <laughs> he's a homewrecker. He's a dog. <laughs> we bought the books. 
He can do all kinds of tricks, spin around, roll over. Uh, he can shake your hand. Now, he can do all kinds of tricks, but you know what? I told him, no, don't do that. Don't mark that bedpost. Don't pee on the side of that couch. Lately, he's been licking the carpet, and then he and then he goes back and eats it. You're like, ah, he's a dog. I say, no, 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 no. And he just says, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Thirteen years we've had him, and he's a slide, man. A little crack in the door. He's like, Phew, he's gone. This morning, home wrecker helps me out my story this morning. This morning, we're getting ready for church, and, and I was doing some stuff in the backyard, and, and I left the back door open a crack. Just a little crack, and home wrecker escaped from Alcatraz. <laughs> he left. And he's running around the street, and we've got to get ready. It's 8 o'clock. I'm like, I'm supposed to be here at 8 o'clock. It's already like three minutes till 8. We're driving around the neighborhood looking for a homewrecker. And we find him in front of our neighbor's house. And so my wife jumps out, and she goes over to pick him up. And he is, like, nasty. <laughs> and it's nasty. He must have gotten in a tangle with a bigger dog that could lift his leg on him. But blessing is covered. He's a white little dog. And this morning he was yellow when we picked him up. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> He's a dog. He don't know no better. He don't care. I want to give you a big lick, and you're like, ah. That's not you. You're not a dog. You're a man created in the image of God. The moment you say yes to Jesus, His Spirit now comes and lives in you. And Paul wrote to another one of the sons of his faith, Titus, listen to what he says. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. The grace of God has appeared. It is the grace of Jesus that you're saved. By faith, not of yourself. Not of yourself, but it is grace today. And it teaches us to say no to ungodliness. The grace of Jesus gives you the ability to say no to your flesh, to turn that television off, to shut off that internet, to put that drink down, to not go, not to go that direction, to not cheat on your taxes. It's the grace of God that caused you to say no to cheating on the time clock. It's the grace of God that allows you to forgive that person that doesn't like you. It's the grace of God that says, you know what, they're not very loving to me, but I choose to be loving to them today. It is the grace of God that teaches you to say to none, a no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly life in this present age. It's His grace. It's the charisma, the gift of the Holy Spirit that's living and dwelling. You're not on your own. You're not a dog. You're not powerless. You're not destined to fail. No, God has called you. Philippians 1, 6 says, He that has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. You don't have to finish wrong today. You can finish strong today because of the grace of God that is in your life. Someone said amen. The last thing this morning, how do you finish strong? Keep pouring out your life. Keep pouring out your life. Keep pouring it out. Paul says, I'm already poured out. I've given all my time. Listen, you know, Paul was a tent maker. He worked. Scholars tell us that tent makers, the, the, av- the Jewish person, and the way that they lived their life, they would work from 8 o'clock in the morning to 3 o'clock in the afternoon. 
then the rest of the time they would spend in the synagogue. They'd have dinner, but they would spend in the synagogue. They'd go to the synagogue three times a day. Paul worked. He said, I, I don't have to do this, but I choose to provide for myself. So I don't become a burden to anyone else. He gave his time. He gave his talent. He gave his treasures. Planning churches. Loving people. Being a model. Being a good churchman. <laughs> serving God in his generation. But my time of departure is here. I've fought the good fight. You're in a good fight today. <laughs> You're in a good fight. I've finished the race. And I've kept, and I've kept the faith. I fought a good vice. I've fought a good fight. I've finished the race, and I've kept the faith. How do you finish strong today? How do you finish strong? Pour out your life to Jesus. Just make this thing all about Jesus. Make your family all about Jesus. Make your family all about Jesus and making his love and grace known in our generation. It's the grace of God that teaches us to say no. How do you finish strong in your life? You make a decision. You choose. It, it's not just like autopilot. I just it's automatically going to happen. No, 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 no. I want to show you a picture. Uh, this is a young man that we started. My wife and I started ministry with. He and his wife. I met him in 1988. We became very close friends very quickly. I was in his wedding. Uh, he was a very talented young man. Uh, much of the way that we've done church today and our passion to be a multicultural church and my love for music, gospel music, and, and the way that the decisions that we've made about reaching out to people really came because of this young man. When I met him, he had just this passion and this burden to minister to people that other people didn't want. And so we launched a church in the inner city of Seattle, the poorest community, the poorest neighborhood, in a small little tiny house. And his wife and my wife and the two, and the, the, the two couples, we begin to just pour our lives into the kingdom. And the church began to grow, and it grew explosively, explosively. After several years, uh, things were not going well relationally between us, and I had to leave. Fast forward about eight years from that time. This is in 1994, about eight years, seven, eight years later, I get a phone call from his wife and said, she's crying and she's bawling. She said, Ron just left me. <laughs> Five kids. My kids, I'm one of the most talented, gifted preachers, communicators, singers that I've ever known. Amazing, brilliant mind. I mean, he had every opportunity. He, was, he, he grew up in the finest home. His dad pastored a megachurch before there were megachurches on television. He had everything at his disposal, every gift as far as ministry was concerned. He made a wrong choice. He left his wife and got hooked up with another man, went off and this day, he's living wrong. Oh, I, I pray for him all the time. My heart is burning. I was actually driving down the street just praying for him this week because only by the grace of God can he ever come back. I mean, he's chosen to live another life. He's finishing wrong. I want to show you a person, a picture of a person who's finishing strong. Uh, you can't see that very well. It's kind of blurry, but this is August 1999. We started Easter 1999 in Altamont Springs, and uh, we started bus ministry right away. The person there on your left, that's Hank. And you can kind of see a fuzzy Hank and a fuzzy Joyce, and they're waving at you. Just go ahead and wave at them real quick, all right? 
At the age of 57, Hank said yes to Jesus. That was to quit his job, to leave his work, gainfully employed, and follow my wife and I into the great unknown. To come to this place, Hank and his wife Joyce, they said yes to Jesus. They said yes to Jesus. And here's the key to finishing strong. Here's the key. Say yes to Jesus. Whatever he asks you to do. Your life and my life, we're on. We have different things that God's created and called us to do. Different giftings and talents. But whatever God's spoken in your heart, whatever God seems to lay before you, just keep saying yes. Hank and Joyce said yes. Uh, Show the next picture there. This is our first, first beach in baptism. The guy in the middle there we're baptizing is Greg Smith. I still remember him. I remember the work that God did in Greg's life. He came and lived with my wife and I for a short period of time. And something happened in Hank's heart that day. Not that day, but that decision that he made to say yes. The birthing of this church in the first couple of years. The the growth that God brought. The the people that were saved. The lives that were changed. The bus ministry that was started. The outreaches and the way that God spoke to our hearts to bring his love to this community. It just never left us. He went back to Seattle, and they felt that God was calling him to go to Africa to be missionaries. And over the last 12 years, they've taken many, many, many teams to Africa to minister to the people of Namibia, to bring God's love to the children and to the women. And, and I've watched in their life as they've kept saying yes to Jesus. About a year and a half ago, I, I called Hank on the phone. I said, Hank, I'd love to have you come back. I'd love to have you come back and be part of City Church family. You wouldn't believe what God is doing here. I said, I, I just, I think you would really fit well. It would be a great season, a great opportunity. And at the age of 71, Hank said yes to Jesus one more time. One more time, he said yes to Jesus. He's 73 years of age now. Hank didn't get saved until he was 32. My buddy Ron, he, he got saved as a child, had every opportunity. But someplace along the line, he made a wrong choice. It's not when you make the right choice. It's just making the right choice. At 71, Hank is saying, yes to Jesus. The spirit of Joshua, the spirit of Caleb, yes, Jesus, we can do this. We can take one more mountain. We can raise up missions at City Church. We can empower the generation plus to have a Joshua and Caleb spirit to reach the next generation. Hashtag, my hero, Hank Shepard. Come on, give him a great big hand right here. How do you finish strong? Everyone say, say yes to Jesus. Close your eyes. Finish strong, finish wrong. You finish wrong, it is pain. It's, life has got challenges. But when you're living for yourself, there's no hope. There's no sense of that grace. There's no sense of that peace. He is the Prince of Peace today. We lit the candle. There's an expectation in our heart that Christ is coming again. He loves you today. He wants you to finish strong. Every person, you're here today because you want to finish strong. Hey, you know, you, you, I, I'm not, I don't know where you are with God today. Maybe you're, you're not even following him yet. But God's speaking to you today. I do want to finish strong. I want his grace. I, I need his love. I need his forgiveness. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus in this room and you've gotten distracted. You've gotten off mission. You love Jesus, but you just kind of let some things come to your life and you've gotten off course. You feel God calling you back. You feel God speaking to your heart. You got another yes in you. 
you know, if that's you this morning, I want to I want to first speak to the, to the follower of Jesus, the person who loves Jesus. You've gotten a little off track. You're sitting there wondering. God's speaking to you. Just he wants you to say yes to him. Jesus is saying, just say yes to me, whatever that is. If you're in this room and you've got a yes in you one more time, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Come on, raise your hand right now. Got a yes. Amen. I see a yes. I see a yes. Anyone else? Got a yes. Come on. That means every person in this room, you know you're on track. That's good. I want us to stand together this morning.